so I want to say a few things about South Campus before we really get into things tonight, because I think it's important that we talk about uh, the way that God has used this community over the past couple of years. And so the first thing we need to do is give just a gigantic, huge shout out to every volunteer that helped make that place happen for years. Um, these people got up at the crack of way too early, week in and week out, to unload a trailer, to lug heavy equipment, to set up kids' ministry spaces, to set up sound gear, um, just, I mean, for like a hundred straight weekends. It, it was not easy. It was not convenient. It was, I'm sure, a challenge on many occasions, but they did it, and it wouldn't have happened without them. And so if that is you in some capacity that you ever helped kind of make it happen over there at South, man, huge, huge thanks to you guys. And uh, there, there's a lot to celebrate about South. And, and I know one of the things I want to highlight, and I'm sure we'll just be talking about this as the days go on, um, but over these past two years, the majority of people that we baptized at Crosspoint came from our South Campus. And, and I don't know if it was this past year at the river or the year before that, but like seven or eight people in a row were all from the South Campus family. And um, we celebrate that. That is awesome. And it I mean, that, that makes the whole thing worth it, right? That's real kingdom work. Those are real lives changed. And so we're thankful for that. And don't separate the people who helped set up with the people who got baptized. Those are absolutely connected. Because see, without people willing to unload a trailer when it's minus 30 in February, chances are we're not baptizing people when it's plus 30 in August, right? And so sometimes the kingdom work that you do, even though maybe it feels small or insignificant in the moment, I'm just plugging a cord into a soundboard or whatever that is, um, th that's real kingdom work that changed people's lives. And, and there's a ripple effect that happens for years to come that we, that we don't even think about, that we're not even prepared for. And so I know that God will continue to do kingdom work through South Campus long after South Campus has, has finished, right? And I, I think back to when we, when we did an Oromocto campus, seven or eight or nine, I don't know, 15 years ago, whenever it was. And um, we're, we're still experiencing the fruit of what God did there. One of, one of our board members at the church came out of that campus, right? And so our church is still benefiting from a risk we took for the kingdom years ago. And uh, God just does so much more when, when we give him these small offerings of service or time or whatever it is. He does way more with it than we ever fathom. And so we want to celebrate all that God did through South Campus. And um, one other thing, we could linger here for a while, uh, but I, I, I want to preach. And so I want to talk for a minute about Pastor John. He is not here tonight. He is at a youth rally, but we're going to talk about him anyway. Um, John was on staff with us part-time as a youth pastor when we launched South Campus and when we talked about, well, we really should have someone kind of over there giving oversight and leadership to this thing, uh, John became the obvious choice. Uh, we, we would be able to bump him up to full time, and he's just really good at managing details and that kind of stuff. And so we're like, all right, let's get John to do that. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that not only did John meet our expectations, he really exceeded them in every possible way. And I can't express um, just the amount of growth I've seen in that guy's life in these last two years, um, and, and the amount of work he put into leading that campus when he was leading worship, when, when he was overseeing everything that comes with leading worship, as well as leading all of the volunteers there, uh, troubleshooting the never-ending obstacles and problems that would arise when you do a portable campus to having to be the guy that deals with Cineplex, 
when they surprised you with all kinds of, hey, Star Wars is opening today, and 500 extra people show up at Crosspoint, and everyone's confused, and John just handled it. John just did it, and John is a guy who shows up with solutions, not problems. John is a guy who figures out how can we do this more productively and efficiently. John is a guy who effectively manages teams and builds community, and he did that really, really well. And so can we just get, take a moment to honor Pastor John? And uh, we'll tell him we did that because he didn't get to enjoy that moment right now, but man, it's awesome. Um, so there are all kinds of people that we could mention that also help make that happen, and if we start to mention them by name, we will, I'm sure, forget people, but we would be amiss to not mention Kelsey Sherwood, because behind every man, right, is <laughs> a good woman doing a lot of work as well, um, and so she really helped carry that for John and, and did whatever it took whenever it took that, um, and uh, we would also be remiss to not talk about Brandon and Emily Ingram. Um, <laughs> When even before we launched this thing, uh, they were there saying, we'll, we'll be there every single weekend. We'll do whatever it takes. And we asked them to kind of host and oversee teams and people. And they just did everything fathomable. And so uh, without those people especially, it, it probably would not have happened. And, and also thanks to all of you guys. Because even if you never made it over to South, you are the people uh, who prayed for this campus week in and week out. You are the people who funded this campus with your generosity two years ago. You are the people that lets your church do crazy things for the kingdom. Not every pastor is blessed to have a church that says, we should try all those crazy things. And uh, we have a church that lets us do that and take risks and do some kingdom work, and it makes me proud. And so, good job, everyone. And uh, God is good and working and did work in some awesome ways, and he's not done. Amen? Awesome. Uh, well, let's dive into the message today. Uh, we have been in this series called Verbatim for the last few weeks, and kind of the premise here is that we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, but the twist is, is that each of the staff members is going to be preaching on the same passage, but we aren't talking about who's going to take what angle. We aren't having conversations in the offices about, well, what, what way are you going to talk about it? How are you going to approach it? We just deliberately said, let's all preach on the same passage and see how the Holy Spirit wants to speak through all of us differently. And so that is what we've been doing. And uh, it's pretty fun to see uh, the way God will speak through six different voices, even though it's the exact same words in Scripture. And so already we've had two sermons. Um, Pastor Jamie and Pastor Dave have already preached, and they were wildly different sermons from the same passage, and, and tonight will be a little bit different as well, and so uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about one particular line from this prayer, one line that I want to focus on today, and it's one of those lines that we have probably recited and prayed and memorized so many times in our life without ever maybe thinking about the weight or the significance of what it was. We Have you ever done that? You just get into the habit of saying things that words forget meaning a little bit, um, I remember, this is, this is a classic back-in-my-day moment right here. Back in my day, I remember when I was in, like, grade one or two, so we're talking, like, 1987-ish, we actually recited the Lord's Prayer in school. Like, we, we would sing O Canada and then recite the Lord's Prayer in public school. <laughs> Times have changed just a little bit. But all that to say that I have been praying this prayer long since before I ever knew what I was saying. 
Like, I, I didn't really fully understand and grasp at the age of seven years old or whatever what I was praying when I was praying this prayer. And, and I think sometimes we still do that even when we get old enough to understand what it is we really are praying. And we don't mean, I think we do that sometimes with worship. We just sing the songs that are on the screen. It's easy to do. Everyone else is singing. The words are up there. We like the song. It's like Christian karaoke night. It's awesome. But, but we haven't really understood, wait, did I just pray? Like, you've, you, have, you have sung things before that were, like, big. All to Jesus, I surrender. How many times have you sang that? Did you mean it? Because that's quite the line. Now, that's quite a statement. And so sometimes we say these things without really stopping to kind of meditate on the weight of the words that we're saying. And so I think this is one of those lines tonight. It is for me anyway. And so the prayer starts out, and, and you've heard it many, many times, Our Father who art in heaven, and this is NLT, May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done. Old school, thy will be done. Have you ever prayed that? And did you ever stop to think about what it was you were praying for when you were praying for God's will to be done? Because when you pray for God's will to be done, what you're saying is that, God, I want things to go your way, not my way. That, that's a hard thing to acknowledge. When we say that, what we're praying is that I believe that what God is going to do is what's best, not just what I want to have done is is best. Maybe what I want isn't best. So what we're doing then when we pray thy will be done is praying instead of God, I want you to do this for me. I want you to answer this prayer on my behalf. I want you to change the things I'm coming before you and praying about. What we're really praying is that God, would you help me be okay with whatever it is you're going to do? It's not just I want to be happy because you answered my prayer. It's I want to understand and believe that whatever you choose to do is right and good, and I want to be in the center of that will, not just necessarily my own will. Essentially, this is a prayer of submission. Thy will be done. That's a prayer of submission, which we're not huge fans of often. And so often we think after we've prayed for something and it didn't happen, we, we get really frustrated with that. And, and we start to think and assume all kinds of things about our own spiritual life or about God himself. We, we prayed for someone to be healed, and they weren't. We, we prayed for safe travels, and, and they weren't. We pray for our kids to go to bed early, and they don't. Whatever it is you are praying in your life, it, it happens that, that God doesn't answer it. And we think, oh, yeah, one more unanswered prayer. God obviously isn't listening or not caring or, or isn't really there or I've done something wrong in my life that, that is blocking my prayers from getting up into heaven and whatever the thing, we think all these crazy things to just reinforce this lie that prayer doesn't work and it's not worth it and God's not really there. But if that's our conclusion, then I would, I would say that we were beginning to pray or praying with some broken theology to begin with. Because if that's where we landed, we didn't start with thy will be done. We started with my will be done. And we got upset when it didn't happen. And that's not the point of prayer. You understand God never lets a prayer go unanswered? Never. God answers and has answered and will answer every single prayer. It's just often not what we want. In fact, I heard someone say once that God answers every single prayer in one of three ways. Yes, no, and hold on. 
I think that's pretty accurate. Yes, no, and hold on. That's probably how every one of your prayers is going to be answered. And so instead of maybe complaining when a prayer doesn't get answered or it doesn't kind of fulfill itself the way that we wanted it to, instead of being upset with God, with not answering our prayers, what we should really be doing is trying to figure out from God how he answered that prayer and why he answered that prayer and, and get on board with the will that he is kind of put over our life. Your will be done. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't pray for the things that we want. That's not to, to say that you shouldn't pray for certain things. It's just that when it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that God is against you. In fact, I would argue that God's will is always for you. Always. So however God answers your prayer, it's for your benefit. And it's what's best for you. That too many people take their frustrations out on prayer, and they actually ends up driving them further away from God rather than closer to God. And if that's what's happening in your prayer life, something's wrong, because the whole point of prayer is relationship. That's why we pray in the first place, isn't it? To get to know God to be known by God. It's not just to give a list of things to him. So let's break this down because the issue of God's will is huge and massive and complex and we don't really have time to get into that tonight. It's not my intention to wade into God's sovereignty and free will and all these vast, complicated things. You're here to learn something about prayer, not get three credit hours towards a BA in religion. Though that is really all it's cracked up to be, let me tell you. Um, so let's talk about God's will. There are a couple of main kinds of God's will. And, and the first one is called decorative will. Not decorative, but decorative, meaning like the word decree is its root word. And, and so this is when God just says something and it is. This is when God makes a declaration and it just happens. This is creation. God said, let there be light, and there was. That was God's will. He willed it into existence. He made a thing happen because he wanted it to happen. He believed, he just, yep, it's just going to happen. And so that is God's decorative will. And often these are the unspoken parts of God's will. These are the mysterious, sovereign parts of God's will that we are not privy to. He does not give us a heads up about them. They just happen, and we have to trust that God was behind that, and he knew what he was doing when it happened. And so this is when God, like I said, he made creation. He tells rain when to fall on the earth, and he tells the mountains how high they were supposed to go, and he just said all these things, and, and it just worked out that way. And so this is the kind of will that we often picture God kind of in the background moving pieces around on a chessboard. He's just kind of secretly making it all happen according to his perfect sovereignty, according to his perfect will. And, and this is true. This is what God does. We have scriptures that tell us about this. This is Psalm 115.3. It says, our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. That's pretty straightforward. God just wills things, and they happen. Proverbs 16.33 says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Just again, all right, well, God's going to do whatever he wants. He's just got his mind made up. This is how it's going to be. Job 23.13, Job comes to the realization about God. Once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So you, you get this picture of God in, in Scripture 
where he is just this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign being who just can just say, this is how it's going to be, and it just is that way. That is, it's the decorative will of God. He does what he wishes. He determines how things are going to be. He, he just says, this is the way that it's going to go. And so, when, when people pray, often what they're praying is that God would show up in this way, that, that somehow God, would you in your perfect sovereignty heal someone who is sick? Would you in your sovereignty pray away a hurricane that's supposed to hit land and would you send it back into the sea? God, would you show up and do something on my behalf that maybe wasn't part of your plan, but I'm praying that it would become part of your plan? We are, we are praying in this kind of capacity. And that's okay. Those are big, faith-filled prayers. It is good to pray those. It's okay to pray those. James chapter 5 says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And then it goes on to talk about Elijah, who prayed that there wouldn't be any rain, and there was not for three and a half years. It's okay to pray those prayers. It's God's will sometimes that, that, things, that those things happen. We just have to remember when we're praying for those things that a lot of the time God will just say no. And he won't actually just say it. It just won't happen. And so these are the, the moments when we have to realize, okay, well, God knows what he's doing. God does what he wishes. God declares it to be so. There's, there's got to be some reason behind it that maybe I'm never going to be privy to but if I believe that God is always doing what is best for me, and God's will is always what's best for me, then this is what's best for me. So in other words, an unanswered prayer or a prayer that doesn't go your way isn't bad. In fact, it just means there's something better. An unanswered prayer isn't bad. It means there's something better. That God has willed something different that is right and good and perfect. And so th this is kind of the honest moment where we realize, let's, let's just kind of level here. If we did get everything we prayed for, man, that would be a disaster. Truth? If God gave you everything you prayed for, that would be bad news for all kinds of reasons, I'm sure. And so sometimes his answer is no, simply because it is not his will, and he never tells us why. We don't get a reason. We don't get a description. It just, it just is that way, because he has decided that. This is like when parents tell their kids, certain things. Parents just make decrees all the time, don't they? All right, kids, this, this is how it's going to be. All right, kids, it's bedtime tonight, 7 o'clock, and you go, well, why? I don't want it to be bedtime. And the answer is, because I said so. Right? And, and I've got reasons behind it. Right? You need sleep. Sleep is healthy. Sleep is good. You need to get well rested. There's all kinds of science behind it. I need you to go to bed so I can be without you for a little while. There's all kinds of wonderful reasons, but I don't lay out all of those reasons for my kid. If I took the time to explain in detail every decision I make about my children, oh man. Right? So what it is, is just here is what I've said is going to happen because I said so. I have willed it. I am your parent. Right? And, and so they just, they just need to be okay with it. They just have to trust that I know what I'm doing. They just have to trust that that's what's best for them. And, and part of them won't maybe for years. But eventually they will become parents and they will go, oh, that's why. It might take them a couple decades, but they'll get there. 
right? And, and so this is kind of how I feel that, that, that God does things. He just wills things. And so sometimes you pray, and it doesn't get answered, and that's okay. Sometimes you pray, and it gets answered, and that's okay. Just God knows what he's doing. And that's what we have to be okay with. God's will is best, and that's what we have to remind ourselves of. So that's kind of the active part of God's decorative will, but there's also a passive part to it. There's also a different part to it, a different component, because sometimes God's will happens because he does something. Sometimes God's will happens because he allows something, or he just permits something to happen so that his will gets accomplished. This is where things can get a little dicey for us. This is, for instance, the story of Joseph. We, we believe biblically it was God's will that one day Joseph would become one of the most powerful men in, in all of Egypt so that he would, in fact, save the nation from famine. That was God's plan. However, in order for that to happen for Joseph, he needed to be betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, imprisoned multiple times, and had to use his giftedness at, at just the most opportune moments to get to where he was going to be. In other words, God had to permit pain and heartache and confusion in order for his will to happen in Joseph's life. That's not to say God made those things happen. Don't hear me say that God caused pain and frustration and heartache, but he has to allow it sometimes in order to see his will be accomplished. God sometimes has to allow things like sin or hurt or misunderstanding. Perhaps a better picture of this comes from the book of Job. Job chapter 1, we find out that Job is a fine, upstanding person, loves God, honors him in everything that he does, and, and it's the devil who actually comes to God and says, this guy right here, I bet if I ruined his life, he would turn his back on you, and God goes, okay, go for it. God allows Job to endure misery and pain and heartache, and it is awful. I mean, we are putting it lightly when we say that. God didn't make it happen, but he permitted it to happen, right? And so sometimes this is harder for us to kind of swallow and understand because we're not a big fan of it. So when we pray for God's will to be done and it doesn't happen and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a painful or confusing situation, we think, well, obviously this isn't God's will. It's not true. You can be in pain and right in the center of God's will. You can be confused and be in the center of God's will. It doesn't mean that it's enjoyable, but it's true. Because God can permit things to happen in your life that will help accomplish the will that he is after. You can be in heartache and, and, and exactly where God wants you to be. So when you pray, thy will be done, what you're really praying is, God, I'm trusting that whatever it is that is going to be done is good and right and in your hands. I'm trusting you even in the pain. I'm not going to run away from you when it hurts. I could be exactly where you want me to be when it hurts. I'm trusting you in the middle of this pain and heartache and believing that maybe someday I'll know why, and even if I don't, I will choose to trust you because we believe that he's good. In other words, thy will be done is a way of saying it's a good thing God has this world under his control and not mine. The other kind of God's will is his revealed will. And, and this one is not a mystery. This one is not kind of the mysterious, unspoken sovereignty of God. This is the stuff that, that he just makes incredibly clear to us. This is when God speaks to us 
uh, whether it's a voice that you hear or when God spoke to us through scriptures or whatever it is. This is when God told Noah, build a boat. (laughs) Rain's coming. Okay. This is when God told Moses, you're going to be the guy that are going to lead my people out of Egypt. Okay. This is when God is obvious and blatant and apparent. He doesn't want it to be confusing. He doesn't want it to be mysterious. He wants it to be pretty clear. And he wants to kind of lay it out for us. This is when he gave us the Ten Commandments. And he said, all right, here's a list. Let me boil it down to ten. No other gods. Don't covet. Don't murder. On and on and on. I want this to be clear. And so this is his revealed will. We see it when Jesus says things like, love your enemies and turn the other cheek. We read these things. We know these things. We believe these things are from God. And so there's not supposed to be a mystery. There's a lot of times where we're like, but what does God want me to do? And it's like, well, we'll read the Bible. Right? Find we overcomplicate this sometimes. We often ask what God wants us to do. And, and if we would just read, we would find out there's all kinds of things that he wants us to do. And so it's, it's pretty obvious. And the difference is that we, we don't have a choice but to go along with God's decorative will. It is not up to us. It's those verses we read. God is just going to do as he pleases. God's going to do as he wishes. I have no say in the matter. I can't change the matter. I can't convince him otherwise. It's just going to be done. But when it comes to his revealed will, I absolutely can decide, I'm not on board with this. I can decide that I I don't want to have any part of this. God's revealed will for Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply. You should tend the garden. You should watch over creation, and you should not eat the fruit on that tree. And they went, let's eat the fruit on that tree. It wasn't God's will for them that they would do that, but they did it. And, And so this is a part of God's will that we can actually disobey that we can actually go against what God wants for us, even if it's not going to be what's best for us. And so this is where a lot of us find ourselves. You have a daily battle between your will and God's will. This is the fight you find yourself in on a pretty consistent basis in knowing what you should be doing and saying and the kind of person you should be and the kinds of things that you really want to say, the kind of person that you would really like to be sometimes. It's not necessarily God's will for you to do that, but you can do that. And so life is, to some degree, a battle of wills. And and, and so when we pray, thy will be done, what we're really praying is that somehow, God, despite what I want to do, please help me to do what is right. Thy will be done. Because, God, what I want to say to that person is this, but your will be done, not mine. God, what I really want to do today are all of these things, but I know that's not your will for me. And so give me the strength or the clarity or the help or whatever it is I need to make sure that I am submitting to what it is I know I should be doing. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And so this isn't forcing God forcing something on us, but it's asking him to help us be the people that he wants us to be. It's a prayer of God, help me become the person you want me to become. Help me embody the characteristics that you want me to be doing. And so often we pray for God's will. What we're doing is we, we end up praying for a certain decision. When we talk about God's will, people think of certain decisions, certain kind of checkpoints in their life. And so I've had all kinds of people pray and, or ask me to pray, like, can you just pray? I really want to know God's will for my life. What university should I go to? 
I'm really wanting to know God's will for my life. I've got these two job offers, and I want to take the right one. Or, or we're going to buy a home, but we need to pick the right neighborhood. I just want to do what, what God's will for my life is. I've come to a fork in the road, and I don't know whether to go left or right. God, what is your will for me? And here's the thing. I don't think God cares. Which isn't to say God doesn't care. Don't misquote me on that. See, it's very clear. I don't think God cares a lot of the time. I don't think God cares what university you go to. I don't think he cares what kind of job you go get. I don't think he cares what house you buy. He cares about what kind of person you're going to be at university. He cares what kind of person you're going to be at your job. He cares how you're going to love the community that you find yourself in. So often we break God's will into what, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? What should I be doing? And God's really more concerned about the things that we are becoming. What kind of person am I? That's what God wants to know. See, if you read his revealed will all through scripture, especially the New Testament, you will not find specific direction about choices that you should make. And nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount is it, Mark, you have heard it said that you should buy a house in this neighborhood, but I say. <laughs> not in there. Because I'm not sure he cares. But God cares that I would love people. He cares that I would be compassionate. He cares that I would be generous. He cares that I would walk the extra mile. He cares that I would be the kind of person he wants me to be. And so when we pray, thy will be done, instead of always praying, God, what should I do? What should I do? It's really a prayer of who should I be? Who am I becoming? Do I look like someone who, who is living like Jesus and loving like Jesus and speaking like Jesus? Is, is, am I having an effect on the people around me for the kingdom? Is the spirit working in my life? He's, he's already told us it, it's his revealed will. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to walk humbly and love mercy and act justly. I want you to be the kind of people who don't throw the first stone when you see someone sin. I want you to not be the kind of people who point the speck out in someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye, and on and on and on it goes. He's made it pretty clear what he wants us to do. Sometimes we're just praying maybe in the wrong direction. God's will isn't about where we're going, but about who we're becoming. And I think that's what he wants us to be concerned about. Pastor Tim Keller said it like this. He said, the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his. That, that I would be coming more and more in line with God's will for my life. That I would look more and more like Christ in my own day-to-day -day living. And, th and this is what I've been learning as a parent even, to go back to the parenting illustration is that as my kids get older and as I'm trying to do my best to parent them, I've, I've discovered I really don't care what it is they do when they grow up when it comes to their job, when it comes to their profession, where it comes to perhaps where they will live on the planet, I'm sure I will have opinions about those things. But I'm more concerned that they'll be a certain kind of person. I'm more concerned that my kids will be loving and generous and compassionate, that they would be people who follow hard after Jesus and live by the Spirit. That's what I want for my kids. You can go to whatever university you want. I'm not paying for it anyway, so... I don't care, right? Dad, should I play soccer? Should I go to ballet? Should I, what, I, don't, I don't care. Just don't be a jerk when you do those things. Isn't that what we want for our kids? And I feel like God says the same thing to us. We go, God, where do you want me to go? And he's like, just go there and love people with whatever it is you're doing. Just become the person that I have laid out in my revealed will. I've made it very clear to you. It's in a book. I wrote it. You've got nine at home on your shelf. 
Right? God's will is not a mystery. It wasn't intended to be a super confusing mystery. We just have to do it sometimes. See, this is the second part of the line. This is how we pull off on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, when does that happen? When we live like Jesus. When we fulfill the call of Scripture to be a certain kind of person, a kingdom-minded person who is selfless, who lays down their life for their friends, who goes the extra mile, who turns the cheek, who loves our enemy. That's when we accomplish the will of God and we bring heaven to earth. Now, it doesn't make it easy because it's clear. Just because the instructions are clear in the book doesn't make them fun. And so sometimes when we pray God's will, what we're praying for is the strength to do God's will. A lot of things Jesus called us to do are difficult, which is why I think he told us to pray this prayer every single day. This is how to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You should do that a lot. You should pray that a lot. Because we need strength like Dave said last week, to forgive people that have wronged us. But it's one of the things we're called to do. It takes a lot of strength to love the people who hate us and to count it all joy when we're persecuted, but that's what we're called to do. And so we need help to do God's will. We need strength from His Spirit to do God's will. It's not necessarily figuring out some complicated mystery as to what it is. It's just with God's strength, do I have what it takes to do it today? And thankfully, he gave us his spirit. This is what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will for your life is good, and it is pleasing, and it is perfect but you only learn it when you become the kind of person that God is calling you to become. Romans 12, 2 isn't about what direction should I take when I come to a fork in the road. It's are you being transformed into a new person? Then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. So, do we mean it when we pray it? Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my own life as it is in heaven. God, may your will be done in my household as it is in heaven. May your will be done at my place of work starting on Monday as it is in heaven. Well, how is it going to look like heaven? By whatever it is I do when I show up. By loving people the way he has loved me. By showing the compassion that he has shown me and by doing the will of God that has been revealed for us. So it's not a mystery. It's just real hard sometimes. But I believe that we can do it with the power of the Spirit, and I believe that we can do it and be the kind of people God is calling us to be no matter where that happens to be. Amen?